Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Time for School, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. And you know that flash paper that makes the fire and all that? Good good combination with snorting cocaine. Sure. Yeah, because fire and coke works like a dream. Class is in. Rock School Radio Show, emanating from the campus of Southeastern Louisiana University. I'm Joe Burns. I am co-hosting along with... Bill Robison. Thanks for sitting in again for us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Do you ever remember, in the 1970s, buying a Casablanca record? Yes. Did you? I did. Do you remember who the artist was? It was probably Kiss. That's well. That's the one I remember. Also, I bought some disco. I admit it straight away. So a lot of that was also on Casablanca. Casablanca Records is a fantastic story. If for nothing else, the guy that started it, a guy named Neil Bogart. So today on Rock, yes, as in Humphrey, right, or that joint, whichever you want to go with. Uh, today on Rock School, I want to tell the story of Casablanca Records, the record company they say that shipped gold and had the records come back platinum. And I'll tell you what that means here in a minute. We begin talking about Neil Bogart. Neil Bogart started at Buddha Records. you have any Buddha Records? Yes. you remember those? I do. I had mainly 45s from Buddha. He was the head of it all and had a fantastic reputation What he did was went to the head of uh, Buddha Records and said, I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to keep you in the loop, but I'm going to leave you. I'm going to take three guys with me. I have found financial backing from Warner Brothers, and I'm going to start a brand new record label, and I'm going to headquarter it in Los Angeles. And he decided to call it Casablanca Records. You see the connection? Him and three of the usual suspects. Right. But you see the connection. Bogart, Casablanca. Gotcha. The place where it was headquartered, he actually had people come in using money from Warner Brothers and had the whole thing outfitted to look exactly like the bar in Casablanca. So when you walked in, it was as if you were walking into the, what is it, 1938 movie, I think it was? Do I have the year of Casablanca right? I think it's a little later than later that. Later than that. Well, it, it was a World War II film, but I'll I'll check the year on that. But that's that's what it looked like. Money begins to be spent. Now, why are people backing this guy? Because before starting Casablanca, Bogart had signed and launched three major acts. Curtis Mayfield, Question Mark and the Mysterians, and the Isley Brothers. Not bad. So he's got the magic touch. This can't fail right sure can sure it can (laughs) anything can fail the isley brothers will play them we'll come back we'll tell you what happens with casablanca who's that lady this is the guys that got him the stuff it's bogart and the isley brothers on rockstool 
right, talking Casablanca Records and pretty soon the album that saves it. Okay. Just heard the Isley Brothers. They were one of Bogart's real success stories when he was back at Buddha. Now he's with Casablanca. He needs a first artist. Needs a major artist. So it's got to be somebody you've heard of, right? Right? Bill Amesbury, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Yes, you've heard of Bill oh, Amesbury. Oh, of course. Sure, the great Bill Amesbury. There's a billboard by my house. Right. Bill releases a song called Virginia Touch Me Like You Do. And guess what? It hits. Mm. It hits. Uh, it goes slightly into the top 40. There's only one problem. Bill decides he no longer wants to be Bill. Bill now wants to be Barbara. Uh-huh. So he, Bill, no longer wants to be in the music industry, so Casablanca and Bogart can no longer sort of, how do you put this, um, develop him as an artist so after having this slight hit he leaves the music industry virginia touch me like you do uh basically dies right there in the 1970s he takes the amount of money he makes he bill takes the amount of money that he makes off of the single and has surgery to become a woman i see yeah i wonder how virginia felt about that well i i'm not sure but apparently this first guy that he signs is just there to garner the money in order to then have the surgery. Should have should have signed Walter Carlos. Sure, that would have <laughs> that would have been much better there. Oh, by the way, Casablanca was 1942. In case you're wondering, the song Virginia "Touch Me Like You Do" goes this way. I'll play it, but just to let you know, his first signing, Bogart, does not go well. First, there's Bill, Barbara, Unrockful. Hey, Virginia. I know it'll come all right when I look into your eyes It's something in you like you do Talking Casablanca. Now, after an inauspicious start, if you will, right? Casablanca, Bogart, signs... This Detroit upstart band known as Kiss. Kiss, right. Can't lose. As big as Kiss is today, he releases three albums from them. Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, and Dress to Kill, right? Right. Gotta be making money hand over fist, right? You would think. You would think. All three albums flopped. Now, you think Kiss today. They had to be a hit right out of the box. Not a question. Absolutely not. The three albums, they died. Nobody cared to do it. He had barely paid Kiss any money on top of the three advances that he paid them on the three albums. They had made next to nothing on the royalty statements that they were supposed to be getting from the sales of the album. Now, they were touring like crazy. They were a great live band. It just didn't capture well on the record. So still, Casablanca's not making any money. So, what does he do next? In a bid to save this now-failing company, Bogart releases something called Here's Johnny, Magic Moments from The Tonight Show. Okay? Why? Because when he was at Buddha, 
he released something called Dick Clark, 20 Years of Rock and Roll. He put that out at Buddha, and it was a smash sold into the platinum range. So he figured he'll buy the rights to all these people who performed on Johnny Carson. He'll put it out, and it will be a smash, right? Well, he was so possible, or he was so positive that this thing was going to be a hit that he took this five, five-album set printed 850,000 copies and sent it out. It didn't sell 50,000 copies. And I'm guessing the, you can get it cheap on eBay. Oh, now. again, listen on YouTube, there it is. The four rec pardon me, four record set, not five record set. The four record set flopped so bad that almost every copy comes shooting back, which is where the joke about Casablanca came from. It shipped gold and returned platinum. <laughs> okay, so they're in trouble. They're in real trouble. What are they going to do? Because Casablanca becomes wildly successful. What? What are we going to do? Well, Let's play one from the Dress to Kill album on Kiss, because it is Kiss that saves them. In fact, it's a specific album by Kiss that saves them. This is the studio version of Rock and Roll All Night. I'll tell you what the good news is right after this on Rock School. Okay, first break here on Rock School, and Neil Bogart, although snorting cocaine off his desk in giant fat lines, is in huge financial trouble. His financial backing from Warner Brothers is about to be cut because he can't seem to find anything that's working. He believes still that Kiss is going to be the big name. He has absolutely no money to hire an A&R man, so he himself is going to radio stations in full Kiss Kabuki makeup. He's even using flash cotton to say, Kiss is magic, man, and he's going poof, and you know, that flash paper that makes the fire and all that. Good, good combination with snorting cocaine. Sure. Yeah, yeah fire and coke. Works yeah. like a dream. The problem, he said, was simple. KISS simply had not translated to record. They were a far better live band. KISS was making money because there was no contract between Bogart and the live thing, but it was between Bogart and the records. Well, KISS was making money. They were keeping themselves alive by doing live stuff. Bogart suggested, let's do a live album. What an idea. What a positive idea. Live albums at the time were seen as basically selling out. They fulfilled contracts. Bogart pitches the idea to Kiss. Kiss isn't making any money. They go, sure, we'll try anything. Great, as long as it fulfills the contract with you, because behind the scenes, Kiss and their manager are kind of saying, we got to get away from this guy. He's not helping us. We don't have real good distribution, blah, blah, blah. So Bogart fills Cobo Hall in Kiss's hometown of Detroit and spends a ton of money on effects, things that go boom, a riser under Peter Chris's drums, and sells or gives away 
all 12,000 seats. So it is packed. As many people as he can get. May 16th, 1975. And tells the band, put on an extra long show. We're going to record the whole thing. Do you know the name of the album? Kiss Alive. Kiss Alive. And most people call it Kiss Alive 1. But there was no Kiss Alive 2 at the time. Kind of like World War I. Sure. They didn't know it as that. Kiss Alive gets recorded. When we come back, we'll tell you what happened with Kiss Alive. But first, hello, KSCL, Shreveport, Louisiana. What do you got? Hello, KLSU, Baton Rouge, my alma mater. There you are. Did you get all your degrees at the... I did. Did you really? I did. So they, they got couldn't most get, of your money. They couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> God, they tried. Get us on uh, Facebook, search Rock School Radio Show, and like us. You really like us. Back in a minute, we'll talk kiss here on Rock School. Out of the break, talking about Kiss Alive, uh, Kiss Alive One. It'll be fairly soon. Now, you said you had a theory as to why Kiss Live works. I do indeed. For one thing, I think they just sound better live than they do on the early records. But the main thing is that uh, the the marketing genius of the band, Gene Simmons, I right. think, came up with a concept of combining several things that teenage boys can't resist comic book style superhero characters in costume fireworks and loud testosterone driven rock and roll yeah how could you possibly not like it you're right about that if you could have just thrown a girl in there somehow you know some kind of girl to be saved by the superheroes well they sang about plenty of girls that's true there is true okay the show goes off May 16th, 1975, and according to the band themselves, they play one of the best shows ever, and the whole thing was recorded very well. However, the band does not like the recording, and I don't want to get into it here, but there is a lot of rumoring over whether you're actually hearing any of the live show. Some believe the only thing that remains from the show is some of the voice track. The rest of it is just simply recorded over. Whether it is or not, fairly immaterial to me. But Kiss Alive is released on September 10th, 1975, and it's something that no one has ever seen before. It's a double album set, complete with a gatefold sleeve, an eight-page glossy booklet, and handwritten notes from the band. It was as top-notch as Casablanca could create. It was either going to succeed brilliantly or fail miserably. Five days later, Kiss's manager serves Casablanca with a letter of contract termination because nothing was happening. (laughs) It just wasn't nothing. Bogart says, give me two days to think about your letter. He goes and mortgages his house and cuts the band a check for $2 million to keep them on the payroll. Must have been a nice house. I'll bet you. If I give you this check, will you stay on the payroll? Sure. Why not? We'll even do another album for you. Great. Okay, what happened? We'll tell you in just a minute. This is the song that kicks off Kiss Alive. It's Deuce on Rock School. You wanted your best and you got it. The hottest band in the land. 
Coming out of Kiss, Deuce, the song that starts off Kiss Alive. We're going to tell you what happens with the album in just one second. But first, let's take a break from talking about Casablanca and the album that saves it and talk about Seven Days in 70 Seconds, doing the names one more time. I am Joe Burns. Bill Robinson. And we're talking about these dates, July 8th through July 14th. Something that happened on each one of these dates, I believe Monday, goes to Bill. Do it. July 8th, 1985, Playboy and Penthouse went on sale with nude pictures of Madonna. Did you go buy it? No. You didn't? I remember when it came out. This was really something. I was still doing radio, and as part of the show, we went out and bought it. I mean, we took a, a microphone in and bought the silly thing. Oh, that's thing. great. Yeah, walked right into a 7-Eleven and bought the silly now, thing. Now, a friend of mine bought them, so I saw the pictures, but I did not pay for them. Yeah, and they were very old, too. It was, And I remember she had hairy armpits. It was one of these things where I need to pay the bills today. Okay, do you have my money? Do you have my money? That kind of thing. July 9th, 2004, David Bowie is forced to cancel a string of dates uh, due to undergoing emergency heart surgery for an acute blocked artery. How cute was it? <laughs> July 10th, 1989, David Pearsall, 18, was charged with theft after he tried to make off with one of Richie Sambora's guitars following a Bon Jovi concert in New Jersey. The guitarist himself chased the teenager down. <laughs> Much as much as one of my colleagues did a few years ago when a student tried to steal his test. Oh, really? That's right. Knock him down. Yes, indeed. July 11, 2000, the now infamous Lars Ulrich testimony against Napster takes place in front of a U.S. Senate hearing over copyright laws. July 12, 1962, the Rolling Stones made their first appearance as a band at the Marquee Club in London. So that's what now, 51 years ago? Yes, it is. They started, and they're on tour. July 13, 1995, Geddy Lee sings O Canada before an all-star game at Baltimore's Camden Yards. He did it 9 16th time and played nine instruments while doing it. I'm just <laughs> kidding about that. Uh, July 14, 1997, Spice Girl Crisps, a potato chip based on the girl band, goes on sale in the U.K. In six months, the brand sells 16 million bags. Which Spice Girl did it taste like? I don't know. Yeah, come on. You were thinking the same thing. <laughs> All right. Kiss. The album's out. The success of Kiss Alive took about a month. But... Kiss was, as you remember, quelled by a $2 million check. Yes. <laughs> you can quell me with a $2 million oh, you dollar check. You bet. The success was nothing that had ever been seen before. The album goes to number nine and stays on the chart for 110 weeks, over two years. And remember the three previous albums that did absolutely nothing? All followed it up. All three go platinum. Kiss are now major stars. Their headline acts, and the label is completely saved. I mean, all the coffers are filled with money one more time, at least for now. Bogart appears to get back his magic touch. We'll tell you how it goes right back through the roof for him, and then right back through the basement. Take a break here. We're going to play some uh, more Kiss from Alive. This is Let Me Go, Rock and Roll, right here on Rock School.
Uh, let's do a quick one before the break here. Neil Bogart is now full of money. Full of money. Full of money. Now he can buy all the Coke he wants. He really was a huge Coke fiend. December 6th, 1975, the next person he signs because he sees what's coming on the, I guess, music horizon. He sees disco coming. Mm -hmm. So he signs this wonderful new person called Donna Summer. And Love to Love You Baby comes out and Casablanca begins its run through the disco era, making money hand over fist. How does he promote her? Well, in true Bogart style, for the release of her first album, he has a life-size cake made of Donna Summer and has it flown first class to New York City, taken to the center of Times Square. Now, remember, it's life-size. It's a big Puts cake. It, right. To, to the center of Times Square. Hands out knives, plates, forks, so that the audience can eat her up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She gets tired of him, leaves Casablanca in 79, suing yeah, for royalties, why. hops over to Geffen. <laughs> but for that short, beautiful time, she made a ton of cash for Neil Bogart and the people yeah, at Kiss, Casablanca. Kiss and Donna Summer is not a bad bad way to start your artist list. Gotta tell you what. Here's on the radio. It's Donna Summer. God, my favorite song by her. Ryan and Roxco. Second break here on Rock School. The uh, the song that I chose there from Donna Summer was uh, chosen on purpose because I know we talked about Love to Love You Baby. Yes. But uh, it probably wouldn't have been the best song to play after the whole cake Mm-mm. thing. No, that no. was bad. Let me talk to you about another group that comes out thanks to Casablanca. How about Parliament Funkadelic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. From him comes Chocolate City, comes up for the downstroke. And because of just Parliament and Funkadelic, he will start a subsidiary record after the Chocolate City record after that. 1975, Mothership Connection comes out. So this guy blatantly can see talent. He just needed some traction to get going after that. So, I mean, you, you can't exactly turn the guy down. What's really fun is, and maybe it's just fun to me, is a huge Van Halen connection here in just a minute. I know you don't care, but we'll come back and do it in a bit. Uh, Radio Universidad, Salamanca, Spain. Thanks for running the radio show. And WBSD in Burlington, Wisconsin. You bet. Back in a minute with that VH connection right here on Rock School. (laughs) All right, coming out of the break. Here is the Casablanca Van Halen connection. Never known you not to be able to make a Van Halen connection. (laughs) This is purely self-serving, but here we go. Casablanca is given the group Angel by Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons became sort of an A&R guy for Casablanca, bringing him, you know, hey, look, here's a really good group. Angel is brought to them. Had guitarist Punky Meadows in the band. Very good guitarist. 
Punky Meadows stole or was believed to have stolen the two-handed tapping technique from Eddie Van Halen. Whips it out, so to speak. You bet. As a matter of fact, they, Angel, tried to whip out their own version of You Really Got Me, trying to beat Van Halen to the punch. As a matter of fact... Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, was told by the band at certain concerts to turn around, putting his back to the audience when he did it, because other guitarists were trying to steal it from him. Well, Van Halen's first album comes out, and Angel pulls back their song, and it doesn't happen. Eddie and Alex Van Halen are also discovered by, guess who? Gene Simmons. Mm -hmm. And although they don't, aren't, you know, compatible with Casablanca Records, the Love Gun album, which is brought to Casablanca, said this is what we'd like in terms of demos, guess who plays the drums and the guitar on the Love Gun album demos? Aha. Eddie and Alex Van Halen, who were also asked to be in the band, hoping to get rid of two members of Van or get two members of KISS. There's your connection between the two of them. How about I'll that? Bet that? That's yeah, pretty good. There you go. So here is Guitars Punky Meadows and Angel, if you've never heard of the band. This was their biggest hit, and you can't see it, but I'm doing that floppy hand thing here. It's called Ain't Gonna Eat My Heart Out Anymore. And you hear punk is pretty good right here on Rockstar. Okay, 10 minutes left in the show. Got to do this quick. In the early 80s, Casablanca gets back into financial trouble. Why? Well, because Bogart can't stop spending money on promotion of artists and parties. Mm -hmm. So he needs another financial backer. He's left, he's left Warner Brothers. It's not needed anymore. He sells 50% to Polygram. When Polygram saw that Bogart was not stopping his spending ways, they offered to buy the other 50%. Bogart says, yeah, that's great. Problem is, once they owned 100% of the company, guess what they did? Fired him. Fired Bogart. Right. Bogart takes his money, and he starts Boardwalk Records. Remember Boardwalk mm -hmm. Records? I had a few of those. Any idea who the very first person is that he signed to Boardwalk? Not a, guess. a clue. Not a clue? How about Joan Jett? Aha! It sounds like this on Rock School. Last break on Rock School, gotta do it quick. Casablanca, which came out of Buddha Records, which was almost dead, saved by Kiss, died again in the early 80s, sold to Polygram, dies again totally because Bogart dies in 1982 from cancer. 
Casablanca only had two hit albums after the death of Bogart. Robin Williams' Reality, What a Concept. Did you own that? I owned that. I think I owned Did that. Did you? Yeah. And I certainly Flash- listened to it plenty of times. Oh, I loved it, yeah. And the Flashdance soundtrack. That's it. It went under. The big acts were moved to Mercury, and others simply were dropped outright. And then finally, in 2000, Seagram's, as in the mixers, mm-hmm. tried to restart the label, and they signed, of all people, to try and get it going, Lindsay Lohan. They put out two albums with her. By the way, they both went gold. That was big, I guess, before she was really super goofy, but yeah, Lindsay Lohan. She was kind of the cute adolescent version. And that's it. That's the story of Casablanca and how it was saved by Kiss Alive. Neat story. It's dead again, by the way. There is no Casablanca Records. So I guess it's up for sale if you want to look for it on eBay. Under the boardwalk, so to speak. Under the boardwalk, yeah. Totally gone. So thanks for sitting in. My pleasure. Appreciate it. We'll do the names. I'm Joe Burns. Bill Robison. Believe it or not, I'm going to end with Lindsay Lohan. No, how about Parliament? Want to do Parliament instead? Better? Better. Better. Class is dismissed.